This podcast is part of the After Dark Podcast. Hello, witches, wizards, fantastic beasts, and Potterheads alike. Welcome to another episode of For the Love of Franchise. We are going to take you through your favourite film franchises and spend our valuable time watching and reviewing them because what else are we going to do? We're still in lockdown for another month, so uh, or some form of lockdown anyway. So in this episode, we'll be going back into the wizarding world of Harry Potter, and I am joined again by my co-host, first of all, Paul. Hello, good evening, good morning, whatever you are, wherever you are, <laughs> I am here. And our resident muggle, Mr. Tony Bufton. Hello, hello. And I am, of course, I'm your host, Josh. Uh, so let's get started on the Order of the Phoenix Boys. Did we enjoy our rewatch? Yeah. Yeah. We find yeah. out as we go along, won't we? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is, is, is this... I mean, I know, Tony, it's not your favourite franchise, like, in general, but is this, like, a, a better film than the last one, at least? Uh, almost. So it's not going to be far out. So not going to be far out. Yeah. No. Well, that, I, I would say this is my favourite David Yates directed film. Right, okay. I mean, I, I don't blame you, considering what we come to next, but, um, yeah, it's... Uh, for me, I I mean, in my little notes, I've just written that um, it's basically the best, it's the best film personally, um, in terms of balance, basically from going from the book to the film, because it's a common thing amongst sort of the Potter fandom that while Lord of the Phoenix is a good book and it's dark in the right places and light in the right places and what have you, it is just too bloody long. <laughs> it is that it is a fat tome that book. Mm. Like that's the kind of one you t- I would probably take out of the uni library and be like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, I think that's reflected in the running time of the film, isn't it? Something yeah, thirty-eight minutes, I think. Like yeah, it's a long film. This one, but but I mean the the, the runtime for me, I don't particularly feel it, and that again for me is down mm. to the balance of them cutting the right stuff. Yeah. I agree. It doesn't. It never feels overly long. Yeah. When you watch it. Yeah. Um, which coming to the later films will will change. Oh yeah. Because okay. as we go on, they start to feel longer and longer. <laughs> yeah. It's um. It's kind of like the antithesis of the last film, really, in terms of, as I said before, they cut out the right stuff for this film, and. They, I mean, they added one or two little things to sort of explain away things they left out from the last film, but it just worked, basically. Mm. Um, just on a note on casting, Ivana Lynch as Luna Lovegood. Brilliant. That is just... I mean, we said in our reviews of Potter 1 and 2 that the, the casting for these films... Is just stupendous anyway, mm. but that is another prime example of what we mean by that. Yeah. A really sweet character. Oh, so fantastic! Now, see, I'm nature. the exact opposite. Oh. She's probably my least favorite fan favorite. Oh, interesting. Wait, do you mean the character or the actress? Yeah, the character. Oh, the character. Both, okay. To be honest, because I don't think Ivana Lynch is a particularly great actress either. 
<laughs> um, but the character, even in the books, is a bit of a wet blanket. <laughs> um, I can just imagine all her. our listeners just screaming at whatever they're listening to us on. Go, I've met her, and she's lovely. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, just probably my my weakest of those lead characters of the, oh, the kids. Um, so I, that was actually one of my notes that I'd written down, that she's she's probably the one I enjoy watching the least. Do you guys know the uh, the story about her casting? Yeah. No. Um, basically, uh, when, just for Tony, uh, when Order of the Phoenix, the book, was released, uh, J.K. Rowland got a series of letters from a, a young fan saying that she really connected with Luna and uh, just wanted to basically thank her for uh, creating such a wonderful character that she could identify with. And um, when it came to them making the fifth film, they were having real trouble casting Luna and they were just testing loads of actresses, not finding the right one. And one day, uh, the uh, like the casting director came to J.K. Rowling and said, oh, just to let you know, we found Luna. And um, she said, oh, right, who have you got? And she said, oh, just this young actress called Ivana Lynch. And apparently J.K. Rowland's jaw at the ground because that was the name of the young wow. girl that had been writing to her all those years ago. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, that's quite a full circle type of story. Um, again, on casting, uh, Imelda Staunton mm-hmm. as Dolores Umbridge. Just, you could not have found a better person to take on that role. Yeah. Fantastic character actress. I quite obviously read the book, I think, and had basically just focused solely on that character to bring out every little sort of quirk that she would have had. Like the little um, chuckle she has when she knows she's done something slightly evil. Yeah. Like in the, for example, in the film, she gives Harry detention and she does that little chuckle, and you just want to put your fist through the screen. <laughs> just fantastic. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's 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 a fan it's a fantastic film. This one. Um. Is there anything in particular that you two really enjoyed about it? Is it? Set, set well, I, ju- and- I think we're breaking it breaking it down a little bit. We get some more real world creepiness in that opening segments, don't we? Which I quite like with the under, the underpass. With, with the yeah, the underpass scene. Yeah, the um, mm-hmm. I know I, we said in uh, when we were talking about three and four that the Dementors are just like fantastic in that first appearance in the third film. Um, I actually think they're even better, even though they're obviously in it for all of like what five minutes in this film. Yeah, like, that that whole sequence. Um, even starting with the stuff with Dudley, big D, um, <laughs> is yeah, is probably the best stuff. It actually feels like the book, yeah, uh, the relationship that Harry and Dudley have, um, that is completely cut out from the last two films. Um, yeah. this actually shows that that relationship. Uh, David Yates didn't feel the need to cut it in this one, um, unlike certainly the last two films. Um, and he's so snivelling to start with, yeah. Until Harry has to save him, it's yeah. And that that whole sequence of them getting back to the the Dursleys, and Dudley is quite clearly trying to tell his parents that Harry saved him, yeah. But yeah. he can't get it out. Yeah, and they're they're accusing Harry of of causing it. 
Yeah. That, that's that's um, what I love about it. it because, but that's then what annoys me in the later film, and obviously we'll talk about that next time. Yeah. Um, but the fact that that was what was written, and yet it would have been a lovely little bookend to that relationship, and they did cut that very, very important scene from the seventh film. Yeah. Um. Speak, speaking of it, like cutting things, um, we may jump around a little bit and when we're talking about this film rather than going from bit to bit. Yeah. Um, there's a scene uh, that involves Professor McGonagall and Harry in the book that I think should have been left in because it would have been an absolute screen to see. Um, it's when Harry gets detention from Umbridge, but he basically calls her a barefaced liar in the middle of the class. And um, that's why he gets detention. And McGonagall basically pulls him up on it. And she takes him into his, her office and says, um, is it true you shouted at Professor Umbridge? Uh, sorry, I've got the lines here and I, I wanted to read it. Is it true that you shouted at Professor Umbridge? Yes, said Harry. You called her a liar? Yes. You told her he must not be named as back? Yes. Professor McGonagall sat behind her desk frowning at him. She then said, have a biscuit, Potter. It just, it just would have been a lovely scene between Maggie Smith and Daniel Radcliffe. And it mm. really... It's the one scene that a lot of people in the fandom like to say, I really wish I'd have seen that, or at least it was a deleted scene. Mm. It would have just yeah. been fantastic. And yeah. again, on McGonagall, um, the sort of chemistry between herself and uh, Professor Umbridge is, it's fantastic the way that the, the two of them play off each other, especially in that scene where they're slowly walking up the steps just outside the Great Hall. Yeah. Mm. It's it's just a testament to the, those two actresses. They're fantastic. Going back to the cast for a second, it's nice to see um, Tulis and Oldman back in this one as well. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That that was a couple of my my notes that followed each other. I said Tulis lights up every scene he's in. Yeah. It, it takes yeah. a completely different tone as soon as he's he's on screen. And and again with Oldman, it just every time he's on screen, he shows so much power. Oh yeah. Yeah. But even without really forcing it, there's there's clearly something about him that just yeah. that, that just exudes this this power that that he needs as that character. Yeah. And, and I, I think I think brilliant. his performance in this film for me is kind of what got him the role as Ares and Wonder Woman because it it is that presence that he he does have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which is what makes his his, his demise at the end that much worse because he's oh, one no. of the best characters in, in these in these movies. I think. Yeah. Well, sticking with casting, uh, I can't not talk about Michael Gambon in this film. I, I mean, yeah, he's he's actually kind of hardly in it, save for the yeah. the final battle at the end. Yeah. Um, but that is obviously the the course of the plot in the book and subsequently the film. Um. And we have talked in the past about how we thought Richard Harris might have approached certain things in the previous films. But this film, I can actually not picture Richard Harris doing this version of Dumbledore. Mm. No, I, I can see where you're coming from, certainly. And I've and I, noted it here that it's probably his finest moment is the speech oh, yeah. at the Ministry. Oh, um, yeah. And the whole complete blanking of Harry. Oh, yeah. I don't mm. know if Richard could have pulled that off. 
because yeah. he is so kindly. Yeah. Yeah. Richard um, Harris as Richard Harris was Dumbledore, except he didn't have a wand. Yeah. Whereas Michael Gambon was acting to play Dumbledore. That was the yeah. difference for me. But yeah, as you were saying, Dumbledore QC just yeah. he just absolutely stole that entire sequence. And of course we get his full name. Yeah, oh, it's pretty for the good. first time. <laughs> but it's the way he hangs on to every um name that he's got yeah. just to stall the time. Didn't he didn't yeah. need to stall the time because he knew exactly what he was gonna say to all the Wizengamot. Yeah. And it's nice, to, nice to have a bit of a courtroom drama sequence in there, actually. Some oh, yeah. seen these sort of films very often. Yeah. But the yeah. other thing I picked up on in in, these, in the early bits of the, was was the stuff where they go back into London and we see magic commuters and I just thought that was great that whole sequence. <laughs> yeah, well, we get an expansion on that obviously in the seventh film as well. But um, yeah. yeah, I do love the, the whole red telephone box idea. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, that's that's the ride I've always wanted to turn up at Universal. Oh yeah, it's the Ministry of Magic ride. I, t- I tell you Where, what, make a good water sl- a Harry Potter themed water slide is basically you stand in the toilet at like some <laughs> water park, but basically the floor just drops out from under you and you go yeah. through this water slide and then end up obviously in a swimming pool or some sort, but it's themed like the ministry. Mm. I would think mm. that would be brilliant. I'm copywriting that actually. No one's taking that from me. I'm going to take that to someone. <laughs> um, yeah, so obviously... Uh, Gambon obviously steals the the show f- personally for me in this um, film. He's, as I say, he's not in it that much, but it is just like we were saying with uh, David Lou. Th- I can never say his last name. Lupin. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. I'm just going to call him Lupin because that's what he is to me. Um, it it is just uh, that actor's command and presence in in the film. And. Um, yeah. I think we because we're going to dip in and out of stuff and it's, it comes into the pot as well. I mean, and also, uh, Bellatrix is a great sort of turn up in this. Oh, that, in, yeah. that, that whole sequence where we first see her in this is just, I don't think she's really good in these films, Eleanor. I like yeah, her. Yeah, she is. Yeah. She's a standout character. Yeah. Yeah. Or standout casting, even, but both. Indeed, yeah. Um, the, the set design, I can't say enough about the set design. It's just the amount of thought that went into creating. I mean, not just the ministry, you've got Grimmauld Place, you've got the room of requirement, you've got the extension parts of Hogwarts that were created. It is just outstanding. Yeah. Just, it's beautiful to behold. I mean, obviously, myself and um, Paul have been to the studio tour. And when you get to the ministry, obviously, it's slightly scaled down for, for obvious reasons, but it is beautiful to see it in person as well yeah yeah, yeah I, I've got that written down it's my my favorite set on the on the studio tour by oh, by yeah. far um obviously it's the the later version because it's got the the big statue in it yeah yeah um that we see in the later films but yeah it's it's an immense um mm. set that just uh, it it's the the marble like um walls and stuff that yeah, just tiles, it makes yeah. it imposing Oh, it's 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 a kind of place that like you think, yeah, dark shit goes on here. Yeah. E- even though like it's supposed to be the hub of the entire wizarding world, you can tell that yeah. th- there's like secrets to explore and all kind. Of, it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um, 
just to uh, jump a bit forwards to when like Harry arrives at Hogwarts and stuff, uh, when he does actually get that detention scene from Professor Umbridge, Ooh. that is that's almost Hitchcockian for me. Mm. Yeah. It's it's so well directed. There's that slightly quiet but eerie music going on in the background. And um it's it's just Imelda Staunton basically that she just makes it. She she, she is just as, as I've written down here, she, she she's a devil in pink, and I think that's why the character works is that juxtaposition between the evil yeah. and the yeah. sort of light. Which and again, is, of course, the, the thing with her as well is that she's the complete opposite to everything that Hogwarts is. Yeah, yeah. Hogwarts yeah. isn't a bright coloured school; it's all dark hues and and things yeah. like that. And she's there wearing pink and yellow and yeah. all sorts Cats of on the horrible colours. Yeah, yeah, it's your old mad cat lady. <laughs> but yeah, of course, it's... I it's one of the themes, I guess, because there's that that bit later on we see where Sirius is going on about the family tree. Yeah, uh, and, and he, he throws out some speech about our our own light, light and dark. Oh and yeah, it basically just there's the film in that one line, and it's just yeah. perfectly done. And well, and that, she that, that entire uh, scene is actually Dan Radcliffe's favorite piece of acting he's done in his entire career. Yeah. It's 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 a fantastic scene, and I know obviously there's two actors, but personally, Gary Oldman makes that scene for me with that line that you were saying, Tony. Yeah, and that's basically that's the film, and that's just, and she's an example of that. Yeah, what you see on the surface isn't always what you get. I mean, we 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 have an idea that she's not going to be great when we see her earlier on in that court scene. I think, oh, she's a bit up herself, and then we see her. <laughs> but again, it's completely different when we see her arrive and she's dressed in this. Pink blancmange person just wandering <laughs> around the school, throwing her weight around, uh, and it's quite—it's a great juxtaposition between those two appearances of her. I mean, it's, yeah, it's—I mean, it's also the fact that just before Harry actually walks into that scene, the detention scene, she's got one little pen out of place on her desk. It's just yeah. slightly askew, and then he knocks. She notices it, gets a little pinky yeah. out, just pushes it right into line, and then yeah. she says, "Come in." Yeah, that yeah. from a psychological insight, that is absolutely teeming with stuff. It's brilliant. Yeah. She's she's got more than a screw loose. The fucking Meccano that's falling apart. She does pull it through. And you, uh, Emma Thompson's character, that piece out in the courtyard, oh. is heartbreaking. That's, Emma Thompson yeah. is really good in that sequence. It's yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's actually even worse in the book. I mean, we, we were saying in a previous episode about them bringing um, one of the magical creatures in to teach a lesson. Um, mm. That was basically the lead up to uh, a centaur coming to teach divination because Professor Trelawney was fired for quite mm. a long t time of that term. And then, um, but I think the fact that they didn't include that was actually an instance that needed to happen purely because you then get that later scene of Professor Umbridge attacking a group of centaurs. Yeah. So if you'd have allowed a centaur to come into the school and teach, why is she then gone and mm. uh, well, obviously she must be putting a front on or something, but why would she then go and just openly attack one in front of a whole, I don't know if you call them a herd or whatever, and then two students as well? Mm. Yeah. For, for me, the big, biggest point of the whole Umbridge thing is that these films are far better off when they aren't concentrated on Voldemort. Yes. Mm, yeah. yeah. 
once you start concentrating him on on him in these next three films, they they get worse. Mm. See, I don't, um, I don't think it's well. They obviously do get slightly worse. I just think they went about doing it in the wrong way. I think the books struggle with it as well. Do you think? Oh, see, I think the books didn't. Well, I mean, I don't. I think Deathly Hallows didn't do a particularly good job, obviously, because it was the end and they had to tie up a lot of other stuff. But I think Half Blood Prince was absolutely fantastic. It's actually like my favorite book. But I think it's in spite of him that it's good. Yeah, because he's he's actually just not in it, is he? Yeah, it's yeah, true. It's based around him. Yeah, it's I'll all things that yeah. people are telling he's telling to do, but it's it's not about him for the most yeah. part. It's it's in this case the villain was pretty much non-existent. Yeah, Half Blood Prince. It's it is all about Snape. Yeah. Um, I mean, whereas. She- She's the, it gets the to him, and it's just pathetic in the last two films. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, Dolores is, is is the antagonist in this, isn't she? Uh, stroke yeah. the minute, stroke the ministry, basically, and the yeah. minister. But of course, the minister is a sort of kind He's of unknowing, weapon. unknowing villain, isn't he? In, in, in this yeah. one, really. it's, yeah. sort of, it's his decrees, but she's using it for the benefit of her dark lord. And yeah, it's, it's very well done. When you yeah. just see all week after week, all those bloody notices going up on the wall and it just goes right up the wall. It's just brilliant. Well, that, that actually brings me on to my next little note. Uh, we get the return of montages. Montage. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Montage. The montage is back. Yeah, all, the, all those decrees are just absolutely ridiculous Like to read them. It's like it, students can't be within eight inches of each other. Are you taking the piss? Lockdown. Social distancing? <laughs> yeah. They knew. Yeah, that's scary. It's but it's even like when she's walking through the corridor with a clipboard, like um what's that fella who used to do the film reviews for BBC? Is it Dennis Norden? Uh yeah. Uh, like, no, the film board, review, yeah. so it was Barry Norman. Barry Norman, that was it. I knew there was an N in there. But um yeah, she's just walking around and then there's two two kids snogging on a bench, she just Flicks her wand and yeah. just go flying apart. It's brilliant. I'm um, clearly enjoying it. Just... Oh yeah, but that's again what I love about Umbridge. It's the fact that, like, you get villains like uh, Lucius in Chamber of Secrets or Peter Pettigrew or Barty Crouch Jr. They're doing it for Voldemort. Mm. That is their end goal to help him, bring him back, whatever you want to call it. She technically doesn't actually have an allegiance to Voldemort. She's doing it because she can. Yeah, because she's a ministry and it's power. And Yeah, she thinks she's above everyone else. Yeah. Which makes yeah. her a prime Slytherin, to be honest. Mm. Do, do you know what the bit that makes me crawl the most, my skin crawl the most? Go on. Is when she starts talking about owls. Oh, W-L-S. Oh, yeah. Owls. Oh, yeah. and it's just like, oh, really creepy. No, stop and... it. Yeah. I mean, I, I personally have had teachers like Professor Umbridge who just instantly take a, a dislike to any pupil for either the wrong reason or just yeah. no reason think, at all. Yeah, I think we've all been there. We've yeah. All, uh, we, I think I was probably on the end of one of those teachers in the past once or twice. Yeah. And, I've, and, I've, and there I've, isn't, I've... and it's so annoying, and there's no reason why they take against you. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, I had one in junior school who just took against me for absolutely no reason. We still, to this day, don't know why we even went in for a meeting because I I just had enough, basically. And I said to mum and dad, I just, I, I either want to just 
leave the school basically or just be changed mm. to another class something like that and then I got into uh, senior school and I had the same problem with a history teacher and I very nearly failed my GCSE for it mm-hmm. um, so in this film we also get the formation of Dumbledore's army um, <laughs> I have got a a very harsh opinion on the scene in the Hogshead in um, a lot of people seem to love it. I don't. What before I say what I think more in detail? What do you guys think of it? Well, I literally all I got written down at this point was just I got a question: What the hell had happened to the place? <laughs> ba- well, basically, they hung a hog's head on the wall, and it was still alive, so nobody wanted to go in. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, would you really want to go into a pub called? The dog and whistle, and there's a dead stuffed dog on the blowing a whistle, seat, and it's <laughs> and it's yeah, got a whistle in its mouth every <laughs> hour on the hour. It goes, <laughs> <laughs> That's fair point. <laughs> so well, for me, I it again brings up that whole thing of how quickly they've turned on Harry. Yeah, yeah, I got that um, jotted down. Yeah, we see from Ephraim from the train onwards. Yeah, um, and this is another example of it how they mm. they don't really want to support him. Yeah, um, and then how quickly they turn back to him yeah. when they they yeah. realise he is actually right. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, even the scene in the common room at the beginning of the school year when uh, basically Seamus like has a yeah. right go of Harry, but then Ron comes in behind and backs him up. And I always kind of look at that on another level in terms of Ron just kind of jumps straight to Harry's defence. Into I, I think it he's thinking about last year when. He didn't straight away believe Harry about. Yeah, the and so that that was one of my other notes. Is that he still feels like Harry doesn't quite trust Ron. Yeah, at times throughout mm. this film, and it is still a very rocky relationship. Um, yeah. that I don't think he's any any way close to being fixed until the the seventh film. Yeah. Mm. Um, but, but I mean, it's a strange even character, Ron. Anyway, I mean, he even gets another clip on the head in this one. <laughs> <laughs> When doesn't he I'll get a clip around just the edge? Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah the, the, the whole scene in the Hogshead Inn, I find it quite like a bit of an intervention where yeah. they kind of all sat around Harry and there's Ron and Hermione either side of him kind of saying, look, you can do this, you know, you're all right to do this. And he's like, I don't want to do it because I feel like if one of you gets killed... That's on me because I've taught you how to defend yourselves. If you can't defend yourself properly, that's on me. Yeah. But then you talk him into it. And I'm like, right, well, obviously he needs the support, but, you know, it'll, it'll be like he's turning into Dumbledore. He's training loads of kids to fight this evil dark wizard. And let's be honest, he gets quite a lot of them killed. Mm. Dumbledore, I mean. But, um, yeah, and also, obviously, they didn't include um, Aberforth as the the uh, proprietor of the establishment, which they did know by that point. So they should have... also, the other significant thing I pulled out of this film was um, in, in true, what a twist sort of scenario, was the flashback with James. And he said, oh, what? Yeah. what a fucking tool! Yeah, <laughs> He's yeah. hard bastard! And that's why, if we're getting a TV series, I want that series... Yeah, I want a marauder. About him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And marauders and how, how school was, uh, Hogwarts was a very different place. Mm. 
funnily enough, um, saying about uh, Marauders TV show, I, over the past week or so, I've been reading a fan fiction online called All the Young Dudes. I don't know if, uh, Paul, you might have heard of it. Um, It's about the seven years and then there was a continuation, but it was focused around the Marauders and their time at Hogwarts. Now, obviously, it's a fan fiction. It's quite short and there's a slight liberty taken with certain canonical elements but I can highly recommend it. It is very good. Yeah. And it is that just little bit of fan expansion that never gets really yeah. a look in. For me, I was first and second time because I've forgotten so much of these films. In, in the first time. To see that, that it's Snape on the receiving end, that is a real shock. Oh, yeah. And it kind of goes part way to explain why he's such a git himself. Yeah. yeah. It, it's a thing of like, you go through the first four films thinking... Oh, Snape was a bully at school and he's just mm. never stopped being one really, except yeah. to people who are his elders, like Dumbledore, etc. Yeah. But then you get that flashback scene, and it's just that little bit of extra depth that obviously will get a massive expansion on the later three films. Mm. It's brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, and sticking sticking with that now, his yeah. Alan's performance oh. um really starts to come to the fore in this. Yeah, he really does start to take over. Yeah, because yeah, um, it, it is at this point that JK started telling Rickman what the character's full backstory was. Oh. Yeah. And it it does show, it really does show. Mm. It's, it, I mean, it's, it's the occlumency lesson for me is just why Snape is such a great character because he doesn't let anyone in, but then when Harry accidentally, in all fairness, forces his way in, and knows Snape that little bit better, it does make you go, holy shit, this is why he's like this. Mm, and it yeah. makes you question what you know about the way Harry's parents were bigged up during the first Wizarding War. Mm. Yeah. Like, um, also, it'd be interesting to see what happened to James to make him go from being a git to being a family man. I don't yeah. think... Um, from from the way I'm currently reading that fan fiction, I don't think he actually does. It's just more that he acts a certain way in front of Lily. Mm. Ah, yeah, interesting. But there, there is like one sort of big moment that pushes Lily away from Snape because mm. they were friends originally. Um, and but we'll get onto that in a in a later yeah. episode. Um. But it kind of pushed her away from Snape and into James's arms a bit more, and that's when, oh. well, we get Harry basically. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say about the Dumbledore's army sort of class sequences. They're yeah. fantastic because they are the most amount of sort of taught lessons that we've gotten in probably a film and a half. But and that's that's the most we actually get for practically the rest of the films, really, aside from one potions class in um, the next film. Because what I found with this film was I, I didn't write a lot down because I was just drawn into a lot of the story. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and at this point, <laughs> I written down here by Dumbledore's Army, the secret room, and Nigel go boom, <laughs> <laughs> which is a, it's a hilarious scene. Well, um, what, what I, I really enjoyed from the Dumbledore's Army <laughs> scene was Neville's progression, actually. Mm. Um, yeah, I've got that note that you you finally start to see the hero he's going to become. Yeah, yeah. 
And it, it's and Paul, you'll obviously remember this from uh, the book, but it's also what happens to Neville in the Department of Mysteries in the final act of the film and book. Um, it's not yeah. shown explicitly in the film, but it is obviously there in the book. Um, Neville actually loses his wand in the Department of, of Mysteries, uh, and the wand that he was using from first year to this point was his father's wand. Now, his father had been sent round a twist by uh, Bellatrix before, or just after Neville was born anyway, um, and he'd always used his father's wand. Now, there's the famous saying by Ollivander that you never get the same results with another wizard's wand. So when yeah. he loses that wand in the Department of Mysteries, he goes to Ollivander's at the beginning of the sixth year and gets a brand new wand. And just instantaneously, his magical abilities just sh shoot through the roof. Yeah. Talking and of wands, I'm glad we we finally got a carry on esque line in this film. <laughs> I was waiting for someone to bring that up. Whip, whip your wand out. Whip your wand out. <laughs> whip your whip your wand out for anything. I believe the line is. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, like actually, one, speaking of that particular scene, I, um. Oh, no, that's in the next film. Sorry, off on a tangent. That's me. <laughs> now, we'll come on to that when we talk about the next film. Never mind. Um, but, oh, Fred and George, even with their pranks, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, the beginning of Weasley's Wizard Weezers, it's just brilliant. The, the exam fireworks sequence is brilliant. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> and the return of that, that bit of music. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I, I think is, is one of my favourite pieces, obviously, that we first heard at the, uh, the World Cup. Yeah. The Quidditch World Cup um, that they they bring back for for the scene of them setting off the fireworks and flying off. It yeah. it, it kind of was originally I think it was the Irish team's theme. Am I right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. and then it basically became Fred and George's theme because they mm. supported Ireland in the cup. Yeah. yeah, and that's what I just love how they just did that little transition. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's Fred and George are just fantastic in, in that entire season. That's exactly how I read them. Yes. Yes. It's how they are in this film. This is the first time they have actually nailed the twins spot on for me. Yeah. Um, because pre previously they've kind of felt like caricatures at times. Other times they've just felt like copies of their dad. Um, yeah. Whereas this, mm. they actually finally become their own thing. Mm. Well, on on a, on a note sticking with the twins, um, I know Paul, you're not a massive gamer, um, but did you ever like at least see gameplay of the Order of the Phoenix PlayStation game? Yeah, if I remember rightly. Uh, yeah. I'm, I, I mean, I know Chamber of Secrets uh, uh, PS2 is a special place in a lot of people my age, at least, hearts from growing up. But Order of the Phoenix just had the entire Hogwarts map. And the characters were actually dotted around the castle. They'd move about. They'd do all kinds of things. You'd do pranks with Fred and George. You'd do homework. It was fantastic. And I think that's what um, the new Harry Potter Hogwarts game that's coming out next year has got to live up to. And I really hope it does. Just giving away my trade secrets. I've just changed the channel in the background now. It's ITV. And there's one of the prequels. He's just finishing. That's spooky. Oh, God. <laughs> it's an omen. Grindelwald, yeah, Grindelwald's just finishing. <laughs> spooky. Oh, God. Um, so let's move to the uh, battle for the Department of Mysteries, or battle mm. in the Department of Mysteries, even. Um, we get the brand new Death Eater uh, costumes 
thank God. Yeah. Um, a nice change from what we got in the last film, which was <laughs> the KKK. Yeah, which was not very good connotational wise. Um, but it's <laughs> it's just it's just a fantastic sequence from beginning to end, really. Yeah. Yeah, the break it right through the break in and all the way through that sequence. Um, I do find it odd though that literally everyone's gone home for the night. <laughs> yeah, there not, is not even like are. magical maintenance has stuck around. Yeah, I just think I just thought that was quite funny. Um, but it's even the this the bit in particular that I love is the fact that Lucius obviously comes to the forefront, it whips his mask off, and saying like give me the prophecy and all that but then you have that cackle in the background and up comes Bellatrix mm. the, I mean she could have just like apparated right next to him but no she's in the background she's lurking she's like yeah. a snake and then you just get that cackle and up she comes she's fa- <laughs> Eleanor Bonham Carter fantastic yeah, as always she that, yeah she does that sort of role so well yeah yeah I do love um, the apparition effects here rather than what you get in the sort of someone's being sucked into a black hole type thing that you get in the later films. Mm. Like the, I don't know what you call it, it's like a spectre type thing where you get all the mists around in them. Yeah. I do like like prefer that to what we get in the later films. I did know that there's a lot of balls in that ministry. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there was, there was a lot of marble that was sacrificed for the wizard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, the the battle between um, Harry, Sirius, Lucius, and I could be wrong, but I think it's Dollarhoff, the Death Eater. Paul, yeah. correct me there. Oh, am I right? Okay. Yeah. Um, that, that, that is a fantastic duel. Obviously, it's not on the level of what we get in a couple of minutes' time, um, but I love the fact the serious slips up and calls Harry James. Mm. It yes. just it shows it just shows how much he misses the well a the freedom he used to have, but also just his mate. Yeah, and it's it's it it, it makes you think how much of James is in Harry without Harry ha- actually having known James anyway. Well, to an extent, anyway. Mm. But then if you're thinking about that, how much of a bully does that make Harry? <laughs> if, if his father was like an out-and-out bully. Um, so if we move on to the uh, Dumbledore versus Voldemort fight. Oh, oh, my God. I mean, if they carry on the Fantastic Beast series and we get the Dumbledore versus Grindelwald, Dumbledore claims the Elder Wand sequence... They need to top this duel from Order of the Phoenix. And I honest to God don't think they, they will be able to. Mm. Unless it's a shot for shot remake. It's just they're just throwing magical punches at each other, aren't they? Just yeah. bam, bam, bam. There's, I mean, there's uh there's non-verbal magic, there's wandless magic going. Yeah. There's priori and cantatum going. It's just brilliant. It's, the only uh, thing you wait that you don't get is the kitchen sink. Yeah, I almost expect one of those yeah. to go flying into Voldemort's face. <laughs> but funnily enough, I was saying on a, a previous episode about how good the Lego games of the Potter films were. Um, mm. In in the bit where you play as Dumbledore against Voldemort in this film, 
um, you do actually start throwing things like toilet seats and kitchen sinks at each other. Yeah, because it's, that's the bit that I got stuck on for ages. I just couldn't time it right to, to catch the sink and throw it back. <laughs> I could just imagine Paul sat there with the PS controller, just like and throwing this it. Was, this was on a Switch. Oh, and my get this. My eight-year-old son beat it before I did. <laughs> oh, um, but yeah, that, that, that entire sequence is just how to do a Wizard Duel 101. Absolutely mm. top draw magic duel. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, and of course, we get the nice payoff in that. We finally, the minister has his eyes open, which is yeah. really nicely done. Yeah. Well, speaking wow. of the the minister, um, there's a sequence sort of in the middle of the um, of the film where the minister's being interviewed by the Daily Prophet, and Percy's behind him, and it's just a sort of nod to the rift that grew massively between book four and six. Between Percy and basically the entire rest of the main cast, because there's he... a couple of uh, Percy penis moments in this film. Yeah, it's it's when That's he um, sure. yeah he grabs Harry by the scruff of the neck and takes him into Dumbledore's office. Yeah. Uh, well, mm. on, on a note, then that that sequence as well, where Dumbledore just gives that little wink, Fox comes flying in, so I'm off. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. It's it's just I'm so it's Gambon's best film. Yeah, I I agree. Which is um, a shame considering how much Dumbledore is actually in, well, the next film, but also obviously the book as well. Yeah. Uh, I was I was saying before about how I couldn't really imagine Richard Harris in this film as Dumbledore. The the only way I'll say that I could really see him is in one scene. And it's the last what the last scene that Dumbledore's in in this film, where he's just sat with Harry in the the back of the office, yeah, basically just explaining why he's been so distant. That is just a fantastic scene. It's it's an entire chapter of the of the book, that entire scene, but they managed to condense it down so much because they put stuff in the earlier moments of the film. Mm. Yeah. And it's just they, they did that so well. But as I was saying, I could still imagine Richard Harris doing that particular scene because it kind of echoes the scene from Philosopher's Stone where Harry's lying in bed and Dumbledore's giving him a talk about why he can survive Voldemort. It's I could see him there, but I think Gambon would, would have been the right choice for this particular film. Mm. Um. On a, a sort of final note for me personally, I do like how they actually treat Ginny in this film. Um, because yeah. obviously the, the romance is quite a, a big bit of this particular film for, for Harry and uh, Ron and Hermione. That, that mm. relationship starts sort of coming to the it's forefront the as well. It, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's a nice it's, scene where Ginny's, Ginny's looking a bit jealous. Of yeah, it's it's the scene when they're coming across the bridge after the hogs head in. And mm. um, I'm going to kill my parents. This is twice in a row they've done this now. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, live recording, folks. Turning it off and I'll kill them when I get down. I've got my <laughs> wand with me again. Um, 
Yeah, when they're coming across the um, the bridge and Hermione says uh, Cho couldn't stop looking at you. And if you watch Ginny's face, it just instantly drops. But the mm. camera stays on it. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And then even the bit just before Harry slips Cho the tongue, um, she they're all walking out for Christmas. And Ginny is just watching them walk over to her. And you can see that she's like really heartbroken by it. But mm. on, a, on the flip side of that, Ginny's portrayed as this really strong strong woman and she's a really capable witch she's casting spells that are quite above her, uh, her academic years anyway yeah and she's casting them successfully and it's just fantastic and it is a shame how they go from that in that film to what we then get in half blood prince <laughs> which yes. we will come to in a little bit um yeah so that is just kind of my final thought on order of the phoenix uh Anything you guys want to add? Yeah, the only thing I... I it's been bugging me throughout all these films, and it finally comes to head. Like, Why is the station so bloody far from the school? <laughs> I mean, to be fair, they do have a number of carriages. That's true. But, <laughs> yeah. I... Slog on this, you have to go through an invisible platform, get on a big, long tray, then you have to get on, a, on an invisibly poor carriage. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it. I mean, it would be the equivalent of me living in my house, but going, having to walk all the way into the centre of Liverpool to then get a train to Scotland. Yeah. To go home, basically, that that is it. It is a bit ridiculous. Like, yeah. Um. <laughs> Anything? From yeah. So no, I just I think we covered very much most of my stuff. The only other thing I remember was some. What I thought was a bit dodgy effects from when they seen with Dumbledore's brother, and I put, "Where's he been hiding?" <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, for me, that's just I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, you got because you got that new director and writer composer vibe on it all throughout yeah, the yeah. mix. Although I do miss Williams's stuff as as these films oh, go yeah. on, um, and it coming up in the next one as well. As I said before, I, I love the introduction of Luna or Looney. <laughs> He's really sweet. It is brilliant uh, how they slip up on that as well. Yeah, fight scenes were fantastic in that that climax. There's some great development of Snape's character. Oh yeah, Dolores was a fantastic antagonist, and also just a little technical. I loved the papers in this one. Oh yeah, yeah, the, the transition the sequences. Them. Yeah, yeah, really it, well done. I, I do, I do think that if they'd have figured out how to, well, not exactly how to do it, but figured out that they could include it in from film one basically i do think they could have included more little details from the mm. book and i think it would have massively helped film four yeah massively yeah yeah and so overall i mean the film for me rattles along i wasn't bored with it i say i just got didn't really jot a lot down I just sort of sucked into the story in this one yeah um and it i come out somewhere about 83 percent oh that's nice that's a nice little score for you there. Uh, final thoughts from you, Senor Washington? So, yeah, not really any major story notes. Um, the uh, Just just a couple of bits throughout the film. Um, the tunnel that they run into at the beginning um, is actually the underpass in Watford. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, it goes underneath the main road. Um, wow. <laughs> I've walked under many a time on a drunken night out. 
um, <laughs> so that that's quite funny. Um, also, obviously, we get the introduction of Mrs. Fig, which is another thing that was cut out earlier on in the yeah. films, um, yeah. which I didn't like. Um, so, yeah, because I want to uh, know more about her character. I just yeah, see and, this woman at the end of the underpass. How does she know what's going on? Yeah, yeah. and she's she's in the earlier films, mm. uh, in the earlier books. Um, so uh, I, I was glad that the, the order is unveiled so early on uh, and also that Kingsley got style. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. It's also the only film that really shows Tonk's powers. Voldemort. Uh, what she can actually do. Um, they don't show it in her first introduction, really. Um, and they don't show it in the later films either. Um, obviously, was, the changing of the funny. hair colour and, and the piggy, the oh, piggy Tonks. face, which Tonks. is brilliant. Um, yeah, really, I'm, I'm going to touch more on um, some of the effects. Um, I love the scene flying through London. Oh, uh, I think that's really yeah. well done. But surely someone would have seen them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. I'd have put more um, money. Like, uh, it's a, a great scene. But... Like where he's saying, you were seen by seven muggles. Yeah, well, in, in uh, four years, mate, I'm going to be seen by a boatload going under the Thames, like I'm Sal. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought the design on Creature is far better than Dobby. Um, mm. It's far more developed. Um I don't, I'm not a particular fan of the design on Dobby, but I think Creech is a really well-designed character. Um, so let me just see what else we've got. Um, I love the twins playing their uncle, uncles in the, uh, in the original picture of the Order of the Phoenix. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's, that's great. Um, the Thestrals, I think, are brilliantly designed. Oh, um, I love that design. It's, it's something that, We've we've talked about as a family, uh, as uh, how great they are, how how well they look. Yeah, um, they're, they're creepy, but there's a uh, a lot of uh, majesty about them as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I said smartly dressed Baldy is even creepier. <laughs> <laughs> so when he's all dressed up, I, d I don't like that. That's that's just freaky. <laughs> um. So what else have I got? Um. The shot of Hedwig leaving the castle, um, while it feels completely different to a lot of the other stuff we've seen, it does remind you just how spectacular these films can be. Yeah. Um, just with a shot of a, a digitally created owl, um, how how wonderful that looks. Um, and what else have I got? Um, the what we talked about in the in the last film, um, the serious in the fire oh, where this yeah. one is quite clearly photoshopped in yeah yeah i, I know that it's created yeah, in the fire yeah um this one's just awful yeah mm. it's i, I mean i i oh i am always often stuck for something nice to say about goblet of fire but that is that is one of the few things i can say that's good about goblet of fire yeah uh I also said I prefer Dumbledore's army's theme than Hedwig's, I think. Um, it's a, a bit of music that we hear quite a lot um, throughout these these films now. Um, and it actually is one that probably gets stuck in my head more than, than Hedwig's theme. Um, strangely, I don't know why. Um, David Bradley in this film, I think he's superb. Um, at times he's really sadistic. 
but then other times his his comic timing is superb. Uh, oh, the same when he's eating his sandwiches, mm-hmm. it's just brilliant. When he sat outside the, yes. the room of requirement, it's just yeah. it's great. Um, and what else? Oh, I actually did have written down training montage, and I completely forgot on, that I'd written that down. <laughs> um, the Dementor toy that they have is brilliant. I want one. I think I might end up having to buy one um, when I'm in, in Orlando later this year. Why? What, what um, is that? I've not seen this. Yeah, the, the little Dementor in the in the shop that's on the... He's on like oh. a tricycle. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm going to have to go and see this. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> I said that uh, at this point, you can quite clearly see that Daniel's wearing a heck of a lot of makeup. Yeah. Um, mm. he's obviously the it's meant to be year on year, but there's there's quite a big gap in between filming some of these films. Um, and he's got to the point where he's in his late teens at this point, and they're having to cover up his his stubble and all sorts of things, and it's it's not great, and it, it becomes more and more noticeable um, as the films go on. But this is the first one that it really really does uh, show. Yeah. Um. Also noted, we don't see Hag- Hagrid until halfway through the film, um, which is a first, because normally we see him right at the beginning. Um, I love all the Patronuses. I think that is a great scene. Um, really well done. Um, really well designed. I will say um, from a, a Potter nerd point of view, some of those um, Patronuses were wrong for certain characters, but that's all I'll say. Nerd. <laughs> um, <laughs> I said more top quality flying scenes. Um, but I, I really think they, they nailed them by this point. Um, yeah, they do look really good. I, I've never been a massive fan of the prophecy scene. Um, I think I think that falls foul. It's, it's not particularly well filmed. Um, yeah, I think it's because like in the book, the prophecy is not physically like read out as it is in the film. Yeah. So... So like, but for the film, they they kind of needed to to just make the audience aware of, like a bit of foreshadowing, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the section of uh, Bellatrix taunting Neville is just foul. Oh. It's horrible. Oh. Mm. But again, um, that's what I was saying about uh, Neville's character development. It's the fact that like three three years ago he was hanging from a a chandelier in the Defense Against the Dark Arts classroom by his robes. The year before that, he'd broken his wrist in a flying lesson and now he's threatening a witch that's like (laughs) 20 years his senior. Yeah. Yeah. Who who could just kill him with a flick of a wand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I said the the entrance of the Order is one of my favourite scenes throughout the whole series. Oh, Um, the moving of Grimmel Place? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um... I also find it really heartbreaking that he calls Harry James and, yeah. and then dies literally straight afterwards. Yeah. Mm. Um, I said Fudge needs a kick in the bollocks. <laughs> um, yeah, but we know you've had an anti-Fudge agenda from it, the first film. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> but he really does deserve it in this one. Um, I also noted, would Luna know what Converse boots were? <laughs> Where did she get him from if she lives in the wizarding world? She's Luna, she can find anything she wants. 
Um, so yeah, that that one stood out. Um, and it's the first time we see that side of Hogwarts uh, of the station. At oh, the end. Yeah. We never normally see it see yeah. it that way. So that that's quite nice. Um, then I said that Harry Harry becomes a bit of a teacher at the end. What is with that tweed jacket? <laughs> he's meant to be fourteen, actually. Yeah. Um, I'm not quite sure why he's wearing a tweed jacket. Um, I said it's again, it's a slightly lower standard than than the previous film, but it's still better than the first two and the last three. I gave it eighty five out of a hundred. Oh, okay, okay. Um, yeah, my my like final thought was just um. The, the acting for this one was particularly worthy of note, like across the board, really. Um, the the balancing between the adaptation of the book to the movie was perfect. They cut out the right things. Uh, fantastic script writing, best adaptation. And my overall score was uh, 94 out of 100. Wow. Um, yeah, I, it's, it is just... I, I'm kind of approaching all these films from the adaptation side of it because... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I as I said from our first episode a couple of months ago, um I read I read all the majority of the books before I saw the films. So that's why that's where I'm I'm basically coming from. It it is my it's my favourite film of of the entire franchise. Uh yeah, so that is our review of Order of the Phoenix. Uh we'll be going to a short break for a while now and we'll come back and review Half-Blood Prince. How much for this? Five galleons. How much for me? Five galleons. I'm your brother. Ten galleons. And we are back. Uh, so let's move on to the next film, uh, Half-Blood Prince. Um, oh, right, this one's a bit of a... This one breaks my heart, to be honest, because I've said before, it is my favourite book in terms of, like, expanding on the lore and, like, it goes into a bit more detail of the advanced magic and stuff. And I had read the, the this book by the time I went to see it in the cinema and I had really high hopes considering what we came off from the last one. Mm. And in all fairness, for the first maybe 10 minutes up until the little Kathy in the underground scene, I was I was ready for like an, a fanta- another fantastic adaptation. And then it all just went wrong. <laughs> ah, that, that's going be interesting. Yeah. Um, so opening thoughts from you two. Uh, well, I like the opening bit. It's always seems to be the case because I do like the opening in all these movies. And it's nice. Nice, very gloomy, dark titles for the Warner Brothers logo on this one. Um, And again, we see some nice bits of London again. Uh, Some nice camera work. Um, And that bit that I remember the first time I seen it, that seeing the uh, Millennium Bridge destroyed just completely threw me. And so that's where the film starts to go downhill for me. Well, my first reaction was, why is he suddenly attacking Muggle World? It's kind of like because all the wisdom world know he's back. It's basically just said to his death eaters, just go out and do what the hell you like, and people know mm. it's me anyway. So you know, who cares? Yeah, for me, this is where David Gates starts to add things that don't need to be there. 
You think? Go on, yeah. tell me why. Well, the, the bridge for a start, because in the book, there's nothing about... All they do is they, they attack Diagon Alley. Well, there is a bridge that is collapsed, but it's only mentioned between Fudge and the Muggle Prime Minister, because obviously the first chapter is from Fudge's point of view in this book. Yeah. And it I, I, I just don't like it, and I, I don't like the stuff in the train station either. Oh, yeah, I hate that. I really hate that. But well, I couldn't that, believe he sat there reading his newspaper. Yeah. In the Muggle world. <laughs> and then being, then being a proper slag as well. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we'll touch on Harry being a bit of a slag in a minute because it just, it really annoys me, the whole relationship dynamic thing in this film. It's just, it's crazy. Although he does, he is right when he calls himself a tosser, I suppose. <laughs> well, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he, he probably was for the past 16 years. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, see, I, I like the whole, the viewpoint from the Death Eaters swooping through the through the city of London and, and then coming back out of Diagon Alley, all that. Yeah, it's, great camera work. It's, yeah, it's well, it's not only the camera work, it's basically, rather than have a really long, dragged-out scene between Cornelius Fudge and a Muggle Prime Minister, which, to be fair, would have been a fantastic opportunity to cast the current Prime Minister, just for a little nod. Um, Could have been Hugh Grant. That mm. would have been a shout, actually. Yeah. Um, but rather than having that really long and drawn-out scene, just basically showing that it's not just the wisdom world that's under attack, it's the other yeah. world. I think that that basically elevates the threat of Voldemort and his followers for me. Mm. It, it just adds that little bit more. And I actually prefer it to the opening that we got in the book. That's just um, my little thing. So mm. if we move on to the train station sequence, and oh my God, Harry is a man slag. He's just, I mean, I know he's obviously going right through puberty and, you know, what does 16-year-olds 16 love to do? But, Jesus Christ, anything with a pulse. <laughs> but, um, yeah, see, I would have preferred this scene be changed out for a scene in the Dursley's, like, happened in the book, because Dumbledore just, like, rocks up to number four private drive and the days they just have to deal with it all right okay and i just think it would have been a better comedy moment than what we got in the film mm. um the, the, a lot of the stuff with with dumbledore in this film just feels a bit wishy-washy yeah like yeah. he hasn't got much character to him that's, anymore no that, that's from aladdin isn't it <laughs> oh no it isn't <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's it's just weird how like Dumbledore starts like asking Harry about his love life, like even when he gets to Hogwarts and starts asking him if he's seeing a mine. Yeah, like, but like you're a hundred and five, mate. Like, just put it back in your pants. Yeah, you you keep half expecting him to go, hey, oh hey. <laughs> It just it's just that bit in the train station when the train goes past and then Dumbledore stood there. You just imagine he sits out there going, go ahead, Harry lad. All he's missing is a is a commuter with going, sign them all, sign them all. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so um we then get uh, taken to see Professor Slughorn. Um oh, Jim play, played fantastically by Mr. Jim Broadbent. Oh, my, my note, 
on on this is that he's a great addition to the cast. And who would have thought that a bit part actor from Only Fools and Horses would become an elder statesman of British TV and film? I know. <laughs> it was do you know, what um what I would have loved to have seen was when Slughorn finally reveals that he told Voldemort how to basically make himself immortal. I would have loved to, for Jim Broadbent to just go completely out of character and go, damn, from um, <laughs> Blackadder. I would have loved for him to have done that. Yeah, but no, I actually, I grew up quite a bit with on Jim Broadbent. Um, he was Percy the Parkkeeper for me, and um, he was obviously in Blackadder as I got a bit older, and then Phil's and Horses when I got into my late teens. Um, yeah, he's I absolutely adore Jim Broadbent. He's a he's got a special place in my heart. Um, I do love how um you kind of get it's supposed to be this sort of emotional moment of him sort of telling Harry that he knew Lily, he was very close to Lily and he really misses her type thing. But then Dumbledore just comes in and ruins the moment saying, oh, I'm going to take this magazine. It's got knitting patterns in. And you're like, what, what? Just let that simmer for a bit. And it's kind of a theme that we'll come to quite a bit when, as we're reviewing this film, that... um comedy is put in in the wrong moments and ruins really suspenseful moments. Yeah, there's a couple of couple of decent jokes along the way. I quite like the uh, the Dumbledore not being old joke. Oh, yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah. Um, and there was another one later on that I quite liked as well. Um, I, I can't like remember what it is, but we'll the, get there eventually. Yeah, the bit with Aragog I found quite funny, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, that one... That one's quite funny. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, uh, Dumbledore has to instruct Harry on how to allow Slughorn to collect him, which I thought was quite yeah. a strange turn of phrase to use. Like, <laughs> like it's, it's like he's kind of setting him up just to be inappropriately used in some way, just like, which, to be honest, is what Dumbledore's already doing. He's using a 16-year-old to try and kill the darkest... <laughs> most dangerous wizard that ever lived. Um, yeah. it's We're going to come to something now that really annoys me about this film. Um, <coughs> it's the whole sort of teenage romance thing. And I get that teenage romance is hard to do for most directors because they themselves are not teenagers and don't get what goes through the minds of teenagers because it's been a long time since they were one. But if you think about it in terms of Basically, Harry, about 20 minutes ago, was about to ask a girl out in a train station cafe. And then all of a sudden, he's at the borough, he lands in a swamp, looks up at a window, sees Ginny, and apparently instantly falls in love with her. Shwing! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, where does that come from? Like, it's just ridiculous. I mean, I know... The, the the whole Ron Hermione thing starts to take the forefront as well, but it it basically ruins Harry and Ginny as a couple because they're such a strong couple in the book. And to be honest, if you look, look go back to film five and how they were setting Ginny up to be this really strong and powerful witch who can hold her own, it just basically rips all that away in the next film. And what like what were they thinking? And, and and this is my problem with David Yates, is that he doesn't 
doesn't carry on with the story that he's already built. Yeah. It just, everything descends into chaos with him. Yeah, and it's um, also evident in the Fantastic Beasts films as well. Yeah, exactly. There's, um, it's, there's a lot of, it's not. I mean, it's not only inconsistency, but it's also, it's just a lack of flow in general in the most cases. Yeah, yeah it, it truly is. While I said the first, first film we did was fine, no problems, but then they seem to just let him rule with his, his own hand. I know. It's just with nobody keeping an eye on him in these last four films, and it just, uh, it just annoys me. Yeah, it is highly, highly irritating. Um, so we then get the a scene which I personally think was done fantastically, and I kind of wish that they'd use this scene as a basis for adapting the rest of this book. Um, the scene where Snape makes the unbreakable vow. Yeah. Mm. And this is probably my favourite scene in the whole film. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. And it is a testament to, I'd say, the actors more than the, the director in this scene. Yeah, when when you put those four actors in the room together, yeah, it's, it's not really a surprise because they are all, in their own way, just superb uh, throughout their career. Obviously, we've got um, Alan, who didn't really ever put a foot wrong. No. Um, Helena, who's had a, a great career. Timothy Spall thrown in there, who is another one of these, like Jim Broadbent, that just seems to have been around in British TV for, for years and years. Yeah. And then, of course, Helen McCorrow, um, yeah, yeah. who, whose performance across this film, these last three films, in fact, is just probably one of my favourite performances out of anybody. Yeah. She's... Because of the emotions she goes through. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's even. It's the look in her eyes as uh, Snape's making the vow, and it, it's. She's kind of got a look in her eyes that's like, my son's fate is on you. Yeah. And, but and basically, if both Snape and Draco fail the task that the Dark Lord has given to them, then it's not just that Snape will take on the onus and die because of the vow, but basically Voldemort won't give two hoots about just killing Draco on the spot. And yeah. that's that's what it's always been about for her. It's about Draco. She doesn't yeah. care about anything else. And that's shown and we'll talk about it with the final film. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Where it's just heartbreaking. But um, I, do, I do love that kind of sort of immediate transition you get from that really dark scene that is basically not it's not only Snape sealing his own face but he's basically sign and spoilers Dumbledore's death warrant. Yeah. Yeah. Um but I do I do love that you get that immediate contrast with the next scene in Weasley's Wizard Weezers. So Which... bright everything's banging all over the place and how the hell Wait. did they get a store like that so quickly? Oh, right. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> right. Do you remember I was saying that so much was cut out of Goblet of Fire? Yeah. Basically, because Harry won the goblet, uh, not won the goblet fight, he won the Triwizard Tournament. The prize was a thousand galleons. Now, uh. cast your mind back to the first film when Hagrid takes Harry to Gringotts. That's mm. absolute wad of cash he's got in that <laughs> vault. Harry yeah. is not. Harry could like shit out a thousand pound, and he wouldn't care. <laughs> so 
basically in the book he gave that money to Fred and George and said, oh. "Go and start up your little business." Mm. And he, I, th- I think he, he always gets some, like the majority of the stuff in the store for free, right. because he he gave them the, the little head start. Um, <laughs> so I just started thinking, no more school for you two then. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but the the thing was, what I loved was that they kept the little lining from the book saying that the only reason the Fred and George's shop is still around is because everyone needs a laugh and they're still making money because everyone just wants to get away from the fact that Voldemort's back. Mm. And But what I always thought was quite funny was how the Death Eaters didn't just immediately target that shop once they knew that that's why people were going to it because <laughs> they'd want people miserable. But anyway, mm. um, I do love um, how Fenrir Greyback looks in this film, uh, The Werewolf. Yeah, I mean, mm. although he's not obviously a full-looking werewolf like uh, Lupin, we got to see Lupin in Prisoner of Azkaban, but it's just the the makeup on him and the, the I mean, there was obviously certain prosthetics and stuff, but he just looks so fucking scary. <laughs> yeah, he's a scary. but weirdly was a lovely guy. Yeah, I met him and he was he was lovely, and sadly passed away. Um, he went hiking in the desert. And oh, and got caught and and died. Bloody hell! Um, mm. So yeah, but he was a lovely guy when we met him. Um, massive, obviously. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, a really nice guy, and it's another one that's such a shame that he's he's no longer with us. Well, there's a scene later on in which, um, it, well, which features something so, uh, a Harry Potter actor that's no longer with us, but we'll get to that a bit later. Um, it's actually another very sad story. That this quite going to be a sad little uh, episode. This talk about people dying. It's, it's quite quite sad. I think just generally, I, I there must be at least four or five that are no longer with us out of this cast. Oh yeah, um, uh, Snape, Narcissa, uh, the one that we'll get to a bit later, and Fenrir Greyback. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um. So, yeah, we get the sort of hint at the vanishing cabinet in Nocturne Alley and, like, that, that's basically where the mystery begins for this this film. Um, we'll skip forward a little bit because we get the whole uh, Hogwarts Express thing, Harry gets his nose broken, all that. <laughs> you know what. Um, uh, Luna comes to the rescue. Oh, love it, love it. Which, coincidentally, was actually Tonks uh, in the book uh, coming to get him, which I think personally should have actually been a change that was should have been left to how the books made it because it would have given Tonks a bit more time on screen and then what happens in the later films just gets you that little bit more on the heart. Um, I find it quite funny in the Great Hall scene when Dumbledore announces that Snape has got the position of the Dark Arts job that he announces it and it's kept in the film but we don't see a single lesson no, uh, probably the first time, isn't it? It is the <clears> o- <throat> it is the only defense against the dark arts teacher that we who's wanted the job for donkey's years. Yeah, and yet we don't get it in the film. Yeah, I mean, Weird. I kind of understand why they probably didn't put it in the in the film because the the main lesson that Snape teaches them is non-verbal spells. Mm. Um, but if you think about it, they've technically been casting those spells for the last at least two films, so mm. it would have been a bit like 
wait, so why are they teaching him it now when yeah, Harry used his, his best spell against God knows who and just flicked his wand? But anyway, um, yeah. we, get, we get another little comedy scene. I think this is going to be the one that Paul was mentioning before that he thought was quite funny. Um, it's the one with McGonagall in the hallway. When no, she... actually, we've we've gone past the one that I was talking about. I was talking about the uh, the family discount joke that I thought was quite oh, funny. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah, that is good to be fair. But to be fair, I think that's just James and Oliver Phelps' act. Yeah. I, I, and I that is the one thing that David Yates did get right was that he he nailed the twins as characters. Yeah. I think yeah. in these last few films. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, it'd be quite hard to sort of fuck up Fred and George with a director like David Yates, to be honest, because he's, I mean, he's not a comedy director per se, but he can do funny characters and he just kind of lets the actor run wild with it and say, mm. I'm only going to pull pull you up if I think it's too far removed. But it, 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 they, they're the kind of the most consistent when David Yates comes on to direct. Um, but yeah, the the hallway scene with McGonagall, I I laugh every time uh, at just Maggie Smith. I, I just think it's absolutely hilarious. Is this where when Ron and Arya stood up on the up on the bench? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, no, it's it's just the fact that basically there's a kid going into the girls' bathroom, and he, it's it's just her deliverance, Maggie Smith. <laughs> absolutely brilliant. Um, she oh, she is absolutely fantastic woman. Um. But it's even when she tells Harry to go off to potions and she says, take Weasley with you because he looks far too happy with himself up there. And you're thinking, why? What's Ron doing off screen? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we come to the uh, the potions lesson yeah, and um, we get our... Yeah, we get the main sort of driving point, which is the Half-Blood Prince's book. And it's at this point when I realised who Hermione basically reminds me of when she's sticking her hand up all the while in class. She's basically Lisa Simpson. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. But um, I do love how... I mean, actually, give the film its uh, a bit of credit in terms of there is a bit another bit of comedy here that I think does work, but it's sort of so subtle that you don't notice it and you just think, oh, yeah, that is what would happen. It's when they're smelling the love potion and because it smells different to everyone... They're all sort of slowly getting nearer and nearer and nearer. Mm-hmm. And then he just puts the lid on it. Um, but we get another, well, it's probably half a montage, really. We get the return of Mr. Montage again. We get a Taj. And mini on, montage. Mini montage this time of um, when they're basically making up the potion and Harry's doing it all right. And I love how Hermione's hair basically gets more and more like she looks in the books. I did scribble that I just put a big lull by her hair. The way that just plays out is just hilarious. It's, but it's but that's that's how she's supposed to look according yeah. to the books. And and then I mean don't get me wrong, Emma Watson probably would have suited that really big bushy hair anyway if they'd have gone with it from day one. Mm. But it's it is just a little thing that I noticed. Um but the uh, obviously Harry wins the the liquid look and which is something we'll come back to later because that's important. Yeah. Uh, it's at this point where I scribbled down Red Dwarf. <laughs> oh, Wait, Red just... Dwarf? Yeah, remember the luck virus? 
Oh god, yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen Red Dwarf for ages. Um, right. We're gonna co- we're gonna come to a scene now, and it's probably gonna make me a little bit angry. I'm not gonna lie to you, but the entire stuff that features Dumbledore and the pensive and vault the memories about Voldemort and all that. Yeah, stuff. I just got a big honking question. Why the hell does he keep all those? It's it's not weird at all, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's not weird to a wizard. <laughs> that way. But it annoys me that the basically the main crux of this book is setting up Voldemort's backstory so that then you know where A, he's coming from and B, why he's doing what he's doing. Mm. And yet the only thing... Well, to be fair, the main scene that would have actually set that up quite well for the film if they had to cut certain memories of Voldemort. They fucked that up as well. And I'm talking about the uh, the sequence in Tom Riddle's orphanage. Yeah. And it's just one line. The whole thing looks looks all right and whatever, but there's one line that just diminishes Voldemort just that little bit. Um. He says, I can make bad things happen to people who, I think it's annoying me. I did write it down. Where is it? I'm pretty sure he says people who annoy me. And when I was sort of going back and watching it, I thought, I don't remember it being like that in the book. Oh, no, actually, tell a lie. I've got it wrong. Um, He says in the film, people who hate me. Now, that makes him kind of seem like a timid little kid who gets bullied and it kind of makes you f- feel sorry for him. And mm. oh, so yeah. he was bullied in earlier life. That's why he grow. He finds out he's a wizard and he's like, okay, I can just kill you the fuck I want. But in the book, it's people who annoy me, which basically means they just get on his nerves and he like sets a snake on them or, mm. you know, sets them on fire, probably knowing him. But I, I, the, that one word makes all the difference to me in building that character up. And, I, uh, I have to say, I'm I'm not a massive fan of this stuff either, and kind of Fantastic Beasts has thrown a spanner in the works now as well. Oh, well, don't even get me started on that. So, it all, it all feels a little bit redundant. I mean, and- they, they tried to explain it away a little bit, and the explanation kind of makes sense. But could they not have just said Nagini was a snake? Yeah. End of story. Not not she was a, a a woman who turned into a snake for God knows what reason. Just yeah. ridiculous. Um. Yeah. So there was the whole orphanage thing, and then we there's a lot of stuff of Draco testing and testing the vanishing cabinet, um, with the the apple and the, the poor bird. And a, and a little note for you, for you nerds out there. Um, that vanishing cabinet um, is actually in Nocturne Alley at Universal Studios uh, Orlando. It is the Brilliant. one from the film. They they kept Brilliant. it, and it's it's in the shop now. Um, and you can hear there's actually a speaker inside it now that plays oh, the, yeah, the tweeting bird. I have heard that, but I thought that the the little bird coming from the the vanishing cabinet was in the Wofford Studio. No, it's. The, the real one is in, in Orlando. Ah, right, okay. That's brilliant, though. Apparently, you, <laughs> you can go into a, a shop in the Universal Resort and ask how to buy a Horcrux, and they say, oh, you don't want to be dealing in that kind of magic, and you're like, 
mate, I just want to buy Slytherin's locket. I'm not actually looking to kill someone and rip my soul in half. <laughs> you could tell yeah. my mind was wandering in this film because I started to think of of, of of similar sequences and other stuff. And that, that those cabinets and the way they use it reminded me of that bit in in The Simpsons where they do the fly. Homer's <laughs> using it to come down to the fridge downstairs. <laughs> Did this film bore you that much, Tony? <laughs> we'll find out at the end. Yeah, we'll we? find out with the scores at the end. Um, yeah, we, I just wanted to make a quick note about the, the Quidditch tryouts and stuff. Yeah, uh, and my other note following that up was, when did Harry get in charge of the team? <laughs> Funnily enough, he's actually been in charge of the team for a couple of years, according to the books. I think it was Paul. Correct me if I'm wrong here. It was supposed to be, it was supposed to be book four, but because the Triwizard Tournament happened, there was no Quidditch, and then it was book five. They had one match, and then Umbridge cancelled Quidditch for the year. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Wood Wood finishes at the end of year three, doesn't he? Yeah, and it. But I, I think. I don't think he made Harry Quidditch captain immediately. I'm not sure. I can't remember off the top of my head. But um, yeah, he Harry is Quidditch captain, and there's basically like two Quidditch sequences. And to be honest, I wouldn't have minded if they'd have cut Quidditch. Not necessarily all together, but like, I think it's quite nice that it's back. Yeah, I think it was missed for a couple of films. It was missed, but. And to be fair, like we were saying from our reviews of uh, films one and two, the um, the Quidditch effects do get better as time goes on. Yeah. But I don't think Quidditch is needed as much as it would have been in, like if they'd have elongated the whole Quidditch stuff from book three, including the, not book three, film three, where like basically Harry won the Quidditch Cup. And that was, that was his Patronus memory that he used. There was there was enough in there just to scratch my Quidditch. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, you don't want to be scratching your Quidditch too hard, Tony. It'll fall <laughs> off. Um, but... I was going to say that leads me into my next comment, which is there's a lot of hormones in this film. Oh, just <laughs> right on a on a sort of hormonal level. Does anyone else think McLagan should have been a Slytherin? He is a bit of a douche. He's just a cock, isn't he? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I mean that ca- the character that that actor plays in the film is not massively the same in the book. I mean, he is a bit of a dick, but he's not like a Slytherin level dick. And we see quite a bit more of him in the book as well. Oh yeah, a lot more. He pops in and out along the throughout the book. Yeah, um, before everything goes tits up. Um. <laughs> But yeah, he's he's kind of wasted in this, and and to be fair, they probably could have just cut him out. I I wouldn't have minded if they'd have cut him out. I really wouldn't have. But um, if we move on to uh, a little bit more, uh, we'll get to the whole thing of Harry begins to let Slughorn collect him, and mm. there's the sequence in Hogsmeade which I laugh at every time because Jim Broadbent <laughs> pissed is the best thing ever. It's <laughs> it's the one eye open. It's the slaying of his words, pouring his drink all over someone. It's yeah, brilliant. It's yeah, yeah my, my note on this was, what is in that butter bear? <laughs> it's very cloudy, isn't it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I was just thinking, 
do, do they let them drink Maccasins or Caffrey's at that school? <laughs> <laughs> to, to be fair, but the butterbeer that they serve at um, the Watford Studio and Universal is is absolutely gorgeous. It's really expensive, but it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, I just wish they'd let people know how to make it themselves, but like leave like one ingredient out or something so that it's not as nice. Mm. It's not difficult to work out. Well, no. Butter but, and beer. <laughs> well, yeah. But butter and a can of it's, it's honestly, it is just butterscotch and cream soda. Yeah. That's literally what I'm making tonight. Let's get down to Tesco. Um, <laughs> I think the the scene that follows it, um, where they're walking back up to the castle, someone clarify for me: is Hermione supposed to be pissed there or something? <laughs> because she's just like flailing about all over the street in front of them, and then like all almost she puts her arms around them, and like she's really flobbity. And it's then, like a Friday night in Liverpool, isn't it, Josh? It is a little bit. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> I won't lie. It is a little bit. On a good she night, just, she good just night. isn't orange. Orange? Yeah, most Gauss women are orange, aren't they? No, that's Essex you're thinking of. We oh, we do get. I don't know. We do get to a nice creepy bit at this point where I just well, went down the flying kid. Yeah, that was that was my next note. Um, this is one of the few examples where. I mean, we saw it obviously with the scene of the unbreakable vow, but this is an, a scene where the suspense is actually kept right to the end, and it is brilliant. Mm. And it, this film certainly does have a horror vibe about it. Yeah, which, yeah. yeah I wish it had kept and left out just a little bit more of the comedy. Mm. Yeah, because obviously you then have the scene with with Ron later on as well. Exactly. Yeah, that was going to be my main point well, later. Yeah, that goes back to what I said at the start with the the Warner logo and the titles at the start is very sets it up in one particular way. Yeah, the film never quite has the courage of its convictions to do that entirely. Yeah, it's yeah it's it's just quite sad that I mean as Paul was saying like there's a scene with Ron later on, which is really suspenseful, and you're actually thinking oh shit Ron might die here, and mm. then. It's just ruined right before it cuts away with a stupid joke that, to be honest, doesn't even land that well. So, yeah. um, but the the whole thing of uh, Katie Bell just hanging in the sky, sort of Jesus-like, arms spread out, and she's screaming, but there's very little noise coming out. That mm. is scary, that. Mm. Very yeah. well done, though. And it's one of them where you don't know, is she going to survive it or not? It's, exactly. It's, I mean, and that kind of echoes what we were saying about the scene later with Ron, where you think Ron might actually die, but then because he make, he he makes that joke a little bit, like just after he's kind of saved, and then you're just like, all oh, right, so he's going to be okay, and then the next scene just means nothing where he's laying in the hospital wing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's I just- definitely think a lot of the problem, and again, lovely girl, but lavender just becomes an annoyance oh and she's the one that ruins a lot of the scenes that are tense when she comes in playing around and it's like Mm. no we don't need that i mean in in fairness i don't know if you guys have have seen her since the potter films the the actress she's actually a very successful comedian yeah Mm. she is again lovely i've met her yeah um 
she's she's got a massive family. I think she's got four kids now. Yeah. Um, and just I know yeah. my wife follows her on Instagram and and everything, and seems like she's she's really made a career for herself. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of um, people who've well not exactly made a career for themselves since, but uh, the girl who plays Katie Bell was actually very well known before Potter for having played Molly in the Basil Brush show. Yep. <laughs> so, and you know who she's married to now, don't you? I feel like I should. She's married to Hugh Hefner's son. Piss wow. off. <laughs> yep. Wow. Who now owns Playboy. Oh, I mean, now Basil wouldn't be too happy with that, but you know. Um, so the whole sort of, we were saying before about the awkwardness of the teen angst and the hormones flying everywhere and what have you. Um, the scene between Harry and Ron in the dormitory where they're talking about Hermione and Ginny and basically saying to each other that they fancy each girl respectively and it's just it's just weird. Mm. I, ca- yeah. I, I find it very, very hard to watch. Yeah. I mean... Who says they've got? Who says about a woman they've got? I mean, they might have nice skin, but I mean, who says that? It's funny because all I've written down here is nice skin conversation. Oh, just oh, so, you... to be fair, you can understand it on Harry's part. <laughs> well, because he's he's talking to Ginny's brother. Well, yeah. yeah, obviously, but so he doesn't want to say what he really means. But Ron's just it's it's just weird. Why doesn't he just say, "Oh yeah, I fancy Hermione." Well, uh, just... do you think that what we just saying a second about the, about the comedy and, and the weird sort of tonal shifts? Awkwardness is, is, seems to be a theme throughout this. And I think it's possibly it's deliberate because of all the hormones and stuff. But awkwardness seems to be a commonality throughout this film. Yeah, as well, I've we'll seen gone... when we go to yeah, the pudding I've... club in a minute as well. Yeah, I've I've got that literally as my first note about the the sub club is sitting around the table so awkward. <laughs> yeah, the, the dentist thing is just what? Yeah, it's just yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I, I get what you're saying about if Harry's trying to not out and out say to his best mate that he fancies his best mate's sister, mm. like fair enough. But what they kind of do is dial the awkwardness to eleven when it should only be up to like nine or ten on Harry's part, whereas Ron should just be like, yeah, Hermione is quite like quite fit basically and just like leave it mm, yeah it just could have been written better basically yeah. um it will move on to the the slug club then uh since we were talking about it um and it's another example of something that really annoys me harry and Ginny are a fantastic couple in the books they're one of my favorite couples and they just make it so awkward by making harry just like stand up for absolutely no reason now see i like that no. Because he, it's him being a gentleman, and mm. I think that's probably the one bit of the relationship in this this film that actually works. See, is that quite clearly he he wants to do the right thing. See, I mean, I mean, and I mean no offense by this, but maybe I'm just looking at it with younger eyes. Possibly, possibly, mm. possibly it's not something that people would do these days, but yeah, I exactly. still would. Well, yeah, I mean. You'd like to, it's a thing of you'd like to think that fellas do that, but it does kind of make the rest of the people in the vicinity kind of go, the fuck are you doing? Sit down. 
it's it's just a it might just be my slightly younger brain. Um, as we're talking about the the Slug Club, um, I was saying before that there's another actor who's no longer with us from this film. Um, it's actually the the young lad who was stuffing his face. Um, he was very heroically trying to save his brother in a basically an attack in the middle of a park in London and oh. was killed himself. Oh, I remember this. Yes, I remember yeah. it in the news. So, uh, yeah, that's oh man, that's a really, really sad one. Um, if we just move to the there's one last sort of Quidditch bit, which basically begins all the teen drama that just doesn't really need to be there. Does anyone else feel like the the after match Quidditch thing is just really Americanized? It's just mm. like being in a bar, isn't it? After a yeah. a sports game, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All I've written down after an just, NFL game. I'll just scribble down here. Hermione, just tell Ron you fancy him. Yeah. <laughs> but that, and, and that's what annoys me. I mean, I know I I think I think I'm right in saying that um Ron Hermione never actually expressly said that they fancied each other in this book. Am I right, Paul? Don't think so, no. No. So that's why I kind of like that she kind of keeps it bottled up after mm. he gets into a relationship with Lavender and then once they break up, but once they break up, that's when I hate that she doesn't sort of immediately say, oh, you kind of asked for me in the hospital wing rather than it, because I think that would have kind of rejogged his memory and he would have been like, oh yeah, give us a snog. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, just having a look, see what else did it. Um, there's more stuff of uh, Draco testing the vanishing cabinet, as I said before. Um, but I like the stuff that shows he, he's clearly got issues and he's clearly got second thoughts. Oh, yeah. Tom but Felton's that, really good in those scenes. He's really portraying the fact that, that Draco's totally troubled by what he's having to do at the minute. Yeah, see, that, that I was I was discussing this with my cousin the other day because I was saying to her oh, we're doing, that we were doing Half Blood Prince next and... Uh, she was saying that she actually liked how Dra uh, Draco kind of is presented as a child. Yeah. But like a really immature one, mm. basically. Um, and it's he's more interested in getting the job done and pleasing Voldemort yeah. rather than... But And the, the thing of him, basically, he will die if he gets it wrong, is in the back of his mind. And he's... He's mm. clearly... A, a a very scared child. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's by this point, it, it, it's it is the the child thing that is quite heavily focused on, and that's what I love because it's the it's like he go he goes crying into the bathroom, and um, and, and we we've, we've seen bits of that in, in the earlier films, like with the basilisk and things like that, or whatever. Or when they're out in the woods, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, when, when he um. What was it? Oh, when he gets attacked by Buckbeak. Buck, yeah, and yeah. there he looks like he's going to shit himself. So there are these little moments where his toughness just dissolves away. Yeah. Well, it's and have you noticed it's usually when he hasn't got the other two by his side. Yeah, yeah, when he's working exactly. solo. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, on on a, on the note of Draco, uh, the scene between Tom Felton and Alan Rickman in the the corridor. I know it's not right up close to them, but you can feel every emotion from thirty feet away in that scene. Mm. Yeah, 
like how scared yet angry Draco is with Snape for interfering, how how concerned actually Snape is that mm. not only does he have to mentor Draco to kill his friend, but also that like he will die if he doesn't either do it or mm. yeah. or, or get Draco to do it, basically. Yeah. It's absolutely fantastic. I'm just looking at my notes. I have written the word awkward a lot here because I was going to say the next bit is the awkward train bit where you get the heart and the breath. That makes me want to throw. Well, I was going to I was going to step back a bit from that. It's the bit when we see Neville working the party. Oh, <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> Bless him. That is such a shitty thing for him. It's the only... I mean, it's, it's practically the only bit that Neville's in, really, for this, yeah. this film as well. Yeah. He's, he is fantastic. Oh, there's my computer just dinging away. Um, yeah, see, I've got the I've got the awkward train scene. I've got an awkward scene between Harry and Ginny at Christmas. I actually counted. There's a full altogether yeah. thirteen seconds of silence between them. Yeah, I've got awkward yeah. pie scene as one of my notes as well. <laughs> yes, so have I. Um, <laughs> but question: Do we count all of these Harry Potter films as Christmas films? Yeah, I've got Christmas again in my notes. <laughs> because what, what, it's what, what, literally what? every film they show Christmas until the last two. Yeah. Yeah, but the films aren't set at Christmas, are they? So... <laughs> I know. Really. No, but there's a whole, like, 20, 30 minutes in each film that's at Christmas in snow. No, I couldn't watch Harry Potter at Christmas. I'll tell you now, it'll be on TV at Christmas. Oh, yeah, that's fine. But well, I won't be watching yeah. it. I'll watch Harry Potter at Halloween or something, probably. <laughs> I mean, it's not in my horror Halloween uh, movie playlist, but it's there. Um, the whole burrow attack thing. It's not uh, even uh... in <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, Harry goes to the burrow for Christmas. But that's it. Yeah. It doesn't... There's no Death Eater attack. The house doesn't get blown up. Speaking of the house getting blown up, actually, that's never elaborated on. The house is fine in six months' time. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, you look at it burning, like, I think, well, they're going to find a new house now. Yeah, exactly, because you're watching them just stare at it, going, that's all our worldly possessions. We're not exactly well off anyway. Yeah. No. And, and it, do, it does give us a couple of things, though. We obviously get um, great Helena Bonham Carter... Oh, performance, yeah. and it also means we get to see more of the order together. Yeah. Um, but other than that, yeah, nice to see Hewlett back again. Oh yeah. yeah, always nice. But see, the thing is, with the whole, with the entire burrow sequence, basically, if they'd have kept the two, Harry trying to convince them that Snape is doing something on the dodge, and then also. I mean, if you have to include something between Harry and Ginny, go for it, but just don't make it 13 seconds of awkward silence. Um, <laughs> and then have the bit where uh, with Harry and Mr. Weasley in the shed. Have that, that's fine. But stop it there. I'll just mm. leave it there. Um, we get another uh, Voldemort memory scene, uh, which is basically the the poorly edited version by Horace Slughorn. The Horace Slughorn cut. That's what we're called. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, uh, uh, and I bring up at this point that the, the younger version of Tom Riddle doesn't feel like the one we met in 
Chamber of Secrets. No, nope. at mm. all. No, nope. it it feels like a completely different character. Yeah, see, I, I, just, I wrote just here, I really, really wish they got the Chamber of Secrets actor back. Yeah, I mean, I know he would have been quite a bit older because he was he was hitting his twenties when he was supposed to be playing a sixteen year old anyway. Yeah, but I mean, the wonders of makeup. Come on, people. Yeah, but yeah, he just comes across as a really annoying little shit, basically, Tom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I hate that yeah. whole smarmy look he gives when he says, uh, "How did you know that these were my favourites?" And he goes, "Intuition." Oh, piss off. Yeah. Mm. You don't even know how to spell it. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. That's and it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of at this point as well that I come to the conclusion that Dumbledore could never be one of my favourite characters because he is a conniving git. Yeah, mm. right. At this point. <laughs> this is a conversation I had with one of my other cousins, right? Um, she was saying Dumbledore is an arsehole. And I was like, okay, why? And she was saying, like, oh, we basically getting loads of, like, 11-year-old kids to go out and fight a dark wizard when they've got absolutely no training. And I was kind of making the point that, basically, he was probably using the kids because their magic isn't as well-controlled as... Dumbledore's is because he's had what 70 plus years of controlling his magic, whereas they're just beginning to learn. So they could shoot some like a stunning spell, for example, of Voldemort and accidentally kill him, and then array, he's dead. But whereas Dumbledore knows what he's doing a bit more than the kids. But I do agree that Dumbledore is a conniving little shit, and he went the wrong way about doing the majority of his stuff. Mm, yeah. But, but I do like him in terms of he always at least tried to do what was right. Okay, he went about it in the wrong way, but he tried. Yeah. It was it was also a thing of like cousin was saying to me, um, he had all that power in with the elder wand, but only used it in the direst of circumstances. And I was like, well, yeah, because but I think that's what makes Dumbledore. A great character because he didn't actually want the elder wand, he just had to take it to get it away from Grindelwald in 45. And he, yeah. did, he didn't want the wand, he just had to have it so that someone else who would use it for evil doings wouldn't use it for their evil doings. But I've gone on a rant about Dumbledore long enough over the past <laughs> couple of days. Yeah, you're becoming a Dumbledore, mate. Yeah, basically, <laughs> yeah. Um. Um, yeah, so we'll come, we'll come to uh, the scene we were talking about before about Ron, and this is a prime oh. example where the comedy just doesn't work. I mean, the love potion bit is, like, makes you chuckle. But it's the bit at the end that ruins the suspense of, is Ron going to be okay? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, the, the love potion scene, it really gives Rupert the chance to show his acting chops. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, we do get some randomly inserted comedy it's just, at times. Yeah, it's painful, the lovesick Ron stuff. It's just oh, yeah. it's really cringy. Uh, we do get a nice little line from Amazon. Hearing us call somebody a daft bimbo really sort of took me back. Why <laughs> me? Emma, watch your language. Yeah. Oh, mine is cutting loose. Oh, uh, well, I'd, I mean, I kind of like how um, there's, a, there, there's a little sort of line between Harry and Ginny in the hospital wing later where she's kind of like about time, eh? but she kind of looks at him as if to say, 
that could be me and you as well. I like mm. that bit. It, uh, that's pr- practically the only good bit I'm going to say about the way they treated Harry and Ginny in this film. Yeah. Um, the bit with the Harry and Draco duel, absolutely fantastic. Oh, this is great. Oh, just, can't, there's cannot, so much blood. <laughs> cannot praise it enough. Really can't. Yeah. Just, it's even the fact that they just decided to have absolutely no music. Yeah. Really and the way it's shot with those wounds all just suddenly start appearing oh, on the shirt. Brilliantly yeah. done. See, the only bad thing I've got to say about it is, and to be honest, it actually doesn't really make a difference, but it kind of would have made the plot make a little bit more sense towards the end. Um, in the book, when Harry uses the spell on Draco, Snape notices what the spell is, and he says to Harry... Bring me every single one of your textbooks. And that basically would have hinted to the audience that Snape knows this spell. He's trying to make sure whether Harry knows who the Half-Blood Prince is, basically. Yeah. But what Harry does is he gets Ron's version of the book and gives it to Snape and says, there you go, that's everything. And then (laughs) it's just kind of left. Um. But yeah, the the whole sequence with like all the taps flying off and the water everywhere and yeah. oh, it's just fantastic. But as you say, the the whole sort of uh, what do you call it? the special effects with the uh, all the blood, the gashes starting to appear. Mm. Yeah. I think it would have made it just that tad better if the cut the clothes were actually cut as well, not just him bleeding from his torso. It just would have made it that little bit more graphic and like, holy shit, that spell is powerful. Yeah. I, I also noted at this point that um, Tom Felton does a great job. He makes Draco seem so frail oh, and yeah. small yeah. at this point because of how scared he is. Yeah. Um, he just, and I, I, I will say this, I think Tom Felton's got a bad deal because I thought he deserved more than what he's got. Oh, yeah. Mm. Um. He went through that period where he was fantastic in um, Planet of the Apes, yeah, in the first oh, one, brilliant, and thought that was going to be his breakout. Then he had then that he one ends... brilliant season in Flash, and yeah. then they dropped him, and they yeah. sacked him. And it yeah. was did like, did they sack him or did he? I heard he'd moved no. on because he said the character was too similar to Draco. They didn't renew his his contract. Bastards. He he was all prepped to go back, and then they said, "Oh no, we've got nothing for you next year." Yeah. Uh, oh, see, he would have been great as well. Fuck's sake. And he was yeah. really good in that. And there, there were some really great one or two gags about the expense of other roles he's played as well. And it's just, yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think I, there's, there's, there's a couple of Rod or something. And they, they mentioned like apes and because he'd done yeah. part of the apes by that point. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. There's an apes gag in one of the episodes. That's right. Yeah. yeah with Rod. Yeah. Um, the, the oh, right. I hate talking about this scene. Um, the scene between Harry and Ginny in the room of requirement. let's get it on (laughs) just right I'll say this now Dan Radcliffe and Bonnie Wright they can act they're fantastic actors in their own right there is zero on screen chemistry between the two Mm. she just looks so young still she's got a baby face to be fair Mm. yeah and it's it's kind of like he was complete opposite he was already Heading out of his teens, 
and yeah. we're starting to look way too grown up. He, yeah, it's just they just, I mean, they look right together, but yeah, they don't act right together. Mm. It's just oh, just it makes me skin crawl sometimes, to be honest. Um, right now we're gonna move on to my absolute favorite bit because because I love this bit and I can watch it till the cows come. <sighs> Harry gets high. Yeah, my note was hopped up on LSD. Just because that's what it seems like. It's absolutely brilliant. I, the the bit that always makes me laugh out loud <laughs> is when he walks out of the common room. The two people come in and he just goes, "Ah, yeah." Just so like he's Daniel Radcliffe can act high so well. Get him in a fil- Get him in the Breaking Bad adaptation. Just absolutely brilliant. Um, but the, I was saying before that another part the, where the comedy works quite well is with the whole death of Aragog thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be honest, the only bit that actually works is the sort of physical comedy from Jim Broadbent where he breaks off one of its legs and he's like, shit, what do we do with that? <laughs> and then the speech. Oh, <laughs> but it's again because quite clearly... Robbie Coltrane isn't on set with him. Yeah. Because he has to be that much bigger. And he's putting in this fantastic grief-ridden performance <laughs> about his pet dying. <laughs> and then they just stuff in this comedy. Yeah, it's... Yeah. I mean, it, the, there's moments which make you, like, sort of chuckle, which, again, is the Jim Broadbent bit. But the thing with the pincers that Harry does... Yeah. It kind of makes you go... Yeah, that's supposed to be funny, isn't it? Yeah. It, it's not brilliant. Um, the That scene in Hagrid's hut. Now, don't get me wrong. I know it's supposed to be this really sombre and dramatic and heartfelt scene. But I just don't like the story that Slughorn tells with the fish. I just don't... I, it just doesn't do anything for me. Mm. The bit, the the one in the book, it, like, I mean, that doesn't get me either, but I just think it's better, basically. That's just my thoughts on it. But I do love uh, giving Jim Broadbent and Robbie Coltrane a chance to act pissed. <laughs> it's just always funny. Um, But I will admit that Jim Broadbent's acting when he is listening to Harry talk about his mother and then decides to give over the memory of what he did tell Voldemort. On the part of Jim Broadbent, the acting is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Like, you could actually believe that he had met Dan Radcliffe's ma. Mm. Like, the tears start coming into his eyes. It's absolutely brilliant. Um. And then obviously we just get a complete segue into um, what Slughorn told Voldemort about the Horcruxes. Um, you, you could almost say we're getting to the Horcrux of the film. Hey, bad <laughs> one number one. Let me write that one down. Um, <laughs> the um, I, I actually really, really, really like this scene because it does quite a lot in such a short space of time if you watch it with hindsight. 
Mm. Um, and, and I'm talking about the bit after they realise what Horcruxes do and see that Slughorn told Voldemort how to do it, whatever. Um, because if you watch the scene with hindsight, when Harry touches the ring, the ring suddenly just starts doing some exorcist level shit. Never want Harry to touch your ring. No, there's a novelty. <laughs> um, but because then Harry has a reaction himself and he does that sort of neck twinge, if you watch how Dumbledore looks at Harry, I think that's the moment that Dumbledore goes, that's the final Horcrux right in front of me. And he puts two and two together with the scar because the, the, the lightning bolt shape of the scar is actually the one movement for the uh, for the killing case. So I think that's where he put the two and two together. And I think when Dumbledore has that line that says, uh, I believe I may have found another, he looks directly at Harry rather than doing something else, basically. So I think he's basically saying, I've found you and you're going to die, boy. So, um, yeah, it's, it's quite a lot to... It does a lot if you then watch it with hindsight. So I really, really love that scene. Um, the we, we skip over a little bit with the whole astronomy tower thing and Snape giving Dumbledore the lecture on, like, I don't want to kill you, but obviously you don't know that's what he's talking about. Um, but from the moment that they disappear from Hogwarts and get to the cave where the Horcrux is... yeah. Gar another dark cavern. <laughs> Basements or dark caverns. It's just Harry Potter all over, isn't it? Dark caverns, it's, it's Harry Potter. It's, it's the same cavern every time. <laughs> That's why. But um, from the moment that they uh, apparate to the, ca the, the cave, Gambon's acting just goes through the roof in quality for me. See, I hate these scenes. Oh, I'm right. I think they're horrible. Now. Um, don't like it. It show, once again shows Dumbledore in a really bad light. Um, I don't like the way they're shot. Right. Um, I really don't like David Yates and his director of photography's shooting, and there's the light, and it's awful. Um, and then Dumbledore turns into Gandalf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's or as I put it, bit dark. Zombies. <laughs> yeah. Fire in the hole. See, now, the thing is, I like the whole darkness of it and and then that sudden burst of light when you get the, the fiend fire that Dumbledore uses. But I like the, the, the darkness because it, again, does that suspense thing that we saw with the whole Katie Bell thing earlier on, and it keeps it up. Because you get the darkness from second they enter the cave and even the wand light only probably illuminates maybe from the tip of their toes in a, a in an area around that, basically. And and it doesn't do much for your sense of dread, basically. And then when they get to the island and Dumbledore, uh, Dumbledore, uh, Gambon's acting when he's uh, taking the potion is just brilliant. I call it the draft of despair. That's what I've taken to calling it because he just basically wants to die after taking it. I mean, it's really, really dark for me. Mm. But as you were saying, the whole uh, thing with the zombies, <laughs> I say with inverted commas, um, 
I th- I that that scared the shit out of me in the cinema because I didn't mm. know how they were gonna do the infrared. And then they're basically just dead, withered corpses. And I'm like, fuck me. Imagine one of them grabbing you from under the bed in the middle of the night. <laughs> no, no on AMC, the wizard dead. <laughs> <laughs> like, actually, to be fair, I'll give you that. They do look quite a lot like the walkers, actually. Um, and then, obviously, we'll skip a, a little bit forward now. Um, the, the Death Eater attack on Hogwarts... Um, I think it's absolutely fantastic in actually in certain yeah. respects. Um, but the, the, it's the scene, way they just come in like an assault team, just boom, yeah. out of the portal. And I mean, it's the even band. the black smoke that comes from the uh, the vanishing cabinet, they didn't need to do that. But oh my God, it looks so cool. Mm. Um, the, 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 the conversation between Draco and Dumbledore here is brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it's I, a good turn from those two at this moment. Yeah. 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 It's, and as we were saying before about how Draco is sort of reduced to this real, really like horrible kid, basically. He's a real child in this film. Mm, yeah. What kind of made me realize that, because I did realize it quite late on, I won't lie. It's the fact that when Dumbledore basically puts everything together in front of Draco, and then congratulates him on it. Yeah. You actually see Draco be kind of pleased about it, saying like, yeah, I accomplished all that. Look at me, I'm great. And you're like, you little brat. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, then we we get uh, the fatal moment of... What a twist. <laughs> what, what a twist that everyone who'd read the book saw coming. <laughs> yeah, I, I find it quite anticlimactic. Yeah, yeah. Because you kind of know what's coming, even if you haven't read the books, which at the time of saying it, I hadn't. Oh, right. All right. So, and I just, I I still feel it now that it's it's so signposted by that point that that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I I do. With the fact that he's he's hanging off the edge of the building and you're just like, well, Draco's quite clearly not going to do it. And then Um, down the corner, so you're just like, yeah, he's going to kill him, isn't he? Yeah. It's, now you know what that this this agreement is from the start of the film. Yeah. See, it's not even the fact that it's quite anticlimactic. They draw out the death after it's done. I mean, so much. Mm. I mean, I, mean, I no... recall at the time, I think I was quite surprised because I didn't know anything about it coming into it at the first yeah. time I saw it. And I was generally horrified that he killed killed him off and then he does he goes into Gandalf mode again yeah it's like he's just dropped off after being chased by the Balrog (laughs) fly you fools that's what basically took all the emotion out of it for me if they'd have basically chucked him off the top of the astronomy tower and you had seen a figure from far away fallen rather than watching Dumbledore go full Gandalf Mm. then that would have made more of an impact I think yeah, I just think yeah. the wrong choices were made in that bit. You shall not pass this test. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, going back a little bit, only a little bit. Um, there's quite a very important moment that we didn't really discuss. Um, Draco disarming Dumbledore. Um, which is 
basically the, the sort of it's actually the I think the a bigger moment than killing all the Horcruxes in how yeah, they it shows get you've got a bit of power, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's even. I think it just gets to Voldemort, um, or c- gets to the eventuality of the death of Voldemort just that little bit more personally, because mm. with Voldemort trying to wield the wand in the last two films, and basically the wand physically can't kill its own owner without being won, then. That, that that's why I think because um, Voldemort killed the wrong person, so he still couldn't have control of the Elder Wand. Whatever, I think that's why that's such an important moment. Um, I just got to talk about Alan Rickman for a minute. This was supposed to be his film, basically. The, I mean, mm. all all the previous films focused on maybe one to two characters specifically number one is harry two is Ginny, uh three is basically sirius and lupin or the marauders or the surviving ones anyway yeah um four is supposed to be david tennant but we all know what happened there um five is probably umbridge actually and then six is supposed to be a double thing between draco and snape draco gets played fantastically in this film it does exactly what it should do but i think snape's reveal of him being the half-blood prince is shit yeah no that i did that i did kind of see coming it wasn't really so it just falls so flat on its ass doesn't it he does have some nice moments throughout the film oh yeah don't get me wrong he's fantastic in practically every bit he's in and to be fair, even his delivery of him saying "I am the Half Blood Prince" is good, but the re- it's just the it's the wider scope of the the reveal to me that just makes me think, right, okay. Whereas you should be going, "Oh my god!" Even though you've got, if in my case, like you've read the book and you're like, "Oh, I knew that was coming," but it it still should be visually pleasing. Not just a pleasing reveal of them going, yeah, that's me, kind of thing. See, the the way I would have changed it is um, in the book, and Paula might remember this. Um, Dumbledore actually put a freezing charm on Harry to stop him from interfering in his death because it would have gotten Harry killed as well. Um, and that didn't happen. He just basically made Harry hide on the floor below the astronomy tower and watch. Dumbledore die. Now, what I would have done is, when Snape comes in and tells Harry to stay silent, I wouldn't have had him do that. I would have had him just come up behind him, just tap him on the head with his wand and freeze him. And then that makes it seem to the audience that Snape really has done a full-on Anakin Skywalker. Mm. And it just makes that pay pay off in the last, the very last film anyway. Just uh, and I think, to be fair, this this film doesn't hide the fact that he is a double agent. Oh no, it, it practically because he has some, knows. he has some wonderful moments with Harry throughout this film. Yeah, where you can quite clearly see he does care for him, mm. and it, it isn't just pure hatred. It is he knows what he has to do. Yeah, mm. it's a. Uh... It's kind of a thing of like he does it out of love, but not for, not for the people in front of him. It's for the yeah. people he's lost. 
and that that that's why I think makes Snape one of the top one of my top five favorite characters in Potter. It's it's his motivations rather than just him himself. Um, we've got to just take a moment to talk about the the scene that's become synonymous with Potter, and specifically when an actor from Potter passes away, the whole wand's going up in the air in solidarity thing. Oh, the pop concert bit, as I wrote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it just... I, I don't know who thought of it. I don't know if it was David Yates. I don't know if it was the screenwriter, because it definitely wasn't in the film. Because someone, I don't know if it was McGonagall, but there was like one or two teachers who just were off on the sidelines, just shot a spell into the air and cleared away the dark mark. Mm. And I just prefer that. Because yeah, it's a little bit in your face, isn't it? The way they do it in the film. It's a bit clunky and sort of... It is a bit clunky, but I think it's just that little bit more emotional that it means mm. something mm. rather than Dumbledore's dead, the camera pans up to the sky yeah. and you see two little shots going into the yeah. the dark mark and it goes yeah, away. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah emotion. Is... But I do love that that's become the thing of when uh, Alan Rickman died, when Helen McCrory died like the the fandoms just come together and all put that up saying we're thinking of you mm. I, I think that's just a really lovely moment and very touching um the other bit i just thought about at this point when we go back to um dumbledore's office i just how wonderful that is with the painting oh yeah he's sleeping in the chair and i just that was a really brilliant little moment yeah see the thing is i love Absolutely. I'm like you, Tony. I love that that they have the the portrait and he's sleeping because it's supposed to say it's representing that he's dead. Mm. But I don't like the fact that in the last two films they don't use that painting again because he is used in painting form mm. when Harry is in Dumbledore's office during the Battle of Hogwarts. I just think it would have been fantastic to see Harry mm. just having a chat with a painting. Brilliant. And he does appear in obviously the book. He appears in yep. his brother's house. Yeah. As well in the painting. And, yeah. and runs back off to that's how it happens when Harry returns back at the uh at the school. Yeah. Is that they send Dumbledore I see, to, I just, to I the just army. Could have been thought out a bit more. It just it was a missed opportunity, let's just put it that way. Yeah. Um I do love the the dialogue between Maggie Smith and Dan Radcliffe though, because there's she's consoling Harry because Harry's lost a mentor basically, but she's lost their best friend. Mm, yeah. And and you have to note at this point as well, Maggie Smith was in the middle of chemotherapy. Yeah. While exactly. doing this film, um, exactly. and would spend when they weren't doing takes, she would be in a wheelchair. Yeah. Wow. And would literally get up to do her scenes. And that would be it. Absolutely fantastic woman. Can't praise her enough. Um, so then we just get the final scene now uh, between the Golden Trio and uh, making their plan mm. to hunt down the Horcruxes. And that is the beginning of the end, really. Or As Paul might understand this, or as I put, the Star Wars shot. Yeah, yeah. If they just had two twin sons in the background. Yeah. yeah. Back to camera, just looking out into space. It was just, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that's a deliberate nod, that was. Yeah. And I do like those, because that's how they bookend every film, isn't it? They have oh, that, yeah. that scene with the 
most of the time with the trio, a couple of times it wasn't. It was the previous film. It was only Hermione and, and Harry. Um, but this time it was the three of them again. And I do like do like those scenes. And, of course, it's uh, our last sight of Fawkes. Yeah. Mm. As he flies off into the into the distance. I can't remember, Paul. Does anything happen to Fawkes, like, in the, the final? But no, he... I don't. I think that's it. I think he goes because... Because Dumbledore's gone, that's it. Oh, I think he he flies off into the distance. But again, that's kind of been screwed up now as well, hasn't it? You, yeah. You, I, mean, I mean, real Doctor Evil. You could almost say he forks off. Oh, <laughs> that's on number two. Let's write that one down. Oh, so gents, uh, let's get some final thoughts from each of you. Tony, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, just the last thought on the film itself. There is that I, I like the, the credit sequence as well. But again, like I said, I don't have to miss John Williams in these later films. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, so you could tell, I think, I wasn't as impressed with this film. Um, I did find it quite dull and, and plodding in places. Funny enough, the bits which were supposed to be the funny bits, the, the, the hormonal comedy stuff just felt so forced and clunky at times yeah. i can understand wh where where it's coming from in terms of these characters growing stuff but it just didn't think it was very well performed or shot or written it just felt really forced at times comedy loves it ron just mm -hmm. didn't work um and it just slows the pace down a little bit for me the, the more interesting stuff like we mentioned was that the the darker elements the more veering towards the horror side of it and i wanted to see more of that yeah um but I did like the climax. As I said, I remember the first time around, I sort of was a bit of a gut, a gut punch. Um, but overall, the film itself just comes out sort of close to this sort of 72, maybe 73% for me compared to the previous ones. I found myself on the tablet at one point. I was just getting really distracted from watching the film fully. Yeah. It, it, it is one of them where you can afford to lose interest and not really miss that much. Yeah, yeah. And it's weird because it's sort of like we've had sort of the period about maybe it's three, four, five, I think, have really captured my interest and that they move the plot along quite well, some interesting yeah. stuff in there. And then it just feels like a backward step with this one a little bit, a bit of a misstep. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting revisiting the last two and don't get me started on it being two parts. <laughs> We're on the home stretch, Tony. Hang in <laughs> this one. It's you next. So... Um, yeah, so yeah, so no more than maybe like a 73 for me for this one. Right, okay then. Mr. Washington? Yeah, very much in, in agreement. Um, it's my second least favourite film out of all of them. Uh, and spoiler, we haven't got to my least favourite. Um, <laughs> Yates has now got complete control over the franchise um, mm. and is starting to fuck around with the story. Yeah, um, and I didn't think it was very well shot either. Um, I thought some great performances are, are really dampened um, by how it was directed and and filmed. Um, not quite as low as Tony because there's one that's going to be lower. Um, Seventy six out of a hundred for me. Right. Okay. Um, right. I'm I'm going to be quite try and be quite positive because I feel like I've slated this film quite a bit um, not as much as I did Goblet of Fire because we all know my feelings on Goblet of Fire um, so, Wasn't that in the 50s again I think or something like that? Yes, yes it was um, 
I really don't like Goal of Fire. Um, when the uh, so I've just written that when the film does follow the source material fairly closely, because I know there's certain things that you can't really translate that well to film. The results of it are magnificent. Just, but I mean, the whole Draco arc, in my opinion, the cave scene. I know uh, that's not to everyone's taste. Hint, Paul. Um, the death of Dumbledore, and the, the, it's just fantastic. But it just falls flat on some of the the bigger moments. I mean, it, the fact that they cut the majority of Tom Riddle's backstory with him actually getting the horcruxes and killing people to get them uh, putting his soul inside them because you well you read it in the books or the book even it's i just wish they'd have again as i said with goblet of fire cut out the right stuff the last Mm. film cut out the right stuff the film before it cut out the majority of the wrong stuff this film went back to number four for me and cut out the majority of the wrong stuff um, but it does just pip Goblet of Fire to the post as being better, for, uh, for me anyway. Um, because it's just a darker film than Goblet of Fire for me, and there are moments where the suspense is kept up and does work. So my overall score was 65 out of 100. So it is better than Goblet of Fire, but it's not it's not the the best of the Potter franchise for me. Um so I think that about wraps it up, gents, for mm. films four and five. Uh, and indeed wraps it up for this episode. Uh join us next month when we'll be finally getting to, well, finally for Tony anyway, because he can't bloody wait, uh, getting to the last two films in the Potterverse, Deathly Hallows Part 1 and 2. So until then, stay safe, everyone. Enjoy life and hug your nan. Good night. night. This podcast is part of the After Dark Podcast Network.